0: Good morning. How about I say a word of prayer before we get started? Father God, we thank you that uh, we can come here this morning and uh, hear your word. We thank you we can come as a community of believers, God, and worship you. God, I pray uh, for your word, God, that we get to hear your message that transforms hearts and minds and changes lives. I pray that you would work, God, in our hearts that you would give us something, God, that will change our hearts and make us more like you. And God, may you be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day. So, it is a joy being a father, one of life's privileges that I've received. But uh, I realized since becoming a father that Father's Day is totally different than Mother's Day. Have you noticed? Good. I'm not the only one. So, at, you know, growing up, I thought they were the same, right? As a father, they're different because on Mother's Day, I have a job. My job is to make sure that day's a perfect day, right? And we get our kids in line and we make sure they obey. And if they don't, you'll probably hear the words of one day a year, one day a year, can't your mom have, you know, a good, happy day? And we crack the whip, and we get them in line, and, and kids behave. And there's a lot of pressure on a dad on Mother's Day, right? Because we need to give that one day a year to mom, too. Now, for Father's Day, I don't hear my wife saying, one day a year, <laughs> right? We have every day of the year, let's be honest. We, we haven't made. Uh, so, uh, And as fathers, too, you know, it's different too, because I'm not getting the kids a line saying one day a year for me. Uh, you know, as a father, I'm just happy to be a dad. You know, I'm just I'm grateful, and uh, my kids get by with way more than what they ever would on any other day of the year, because I don't want to. You know, it's Father's Day. I don't want to have to spank my kids, and kids are smart, because they see that. They're like, oh, he didn't spank me. I can do that again. Right? And, and you know, as a dad, you know, you bite your lips sometimes and kids maybe do a little more and you start thinking, not today, I'm not going to do it today. But tomorrow, <laughs> 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 I'm going to remember tomorrow. Right? So, you know, we, we have a day of being a conscientious objector uh, but that day goes and then the next day kids are you know, they're walking the line, they're being um, disciplined and they're behaving. So, For today, for the kids in the room, you have one day of peace. Enjoy it now. Uh, But that peace will be gone, right? That peace is temporary. And uh, it reminds me of a story I just heard. I'm a big World War II history buff. I I love that era. I love that generation. I admire uh, those people that have served and just lived through the things that they lived through. Uh, And I thought I knew a lot about World War II history. Apparently I didn't because I missed something Uh, That was really big peace leading up to World War II. And in 1938, uh, there was a lot of stuff happening, uh, but no war yet. 1938, you know, Hitler, of course, uh, starting to push his rule and reign further out. He invaded Czechoslovakia uh, because there were some Czechs there that spoke German. He said that should be Germany. And uh, world leaders saw that. And uh, Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of the UK at the time, uh, made multiple trips in the summer of 1938 to to meet with Hitler, a small coalition of other countries, to try and and avoid war. I mean, they're 20 years off of World War I, at the time, which was just called World War. Uh, they're trying to avoid another war. And uh, they met multiple times, and then in September of um, 1938, late September, uh, they made a peace accord called the Munich Agreement. And what happened was, is that France and and mostly the UK, uh, they told Hitler, hey, you can have Czechoslovakia as long as you don't invade anyone else. You can have that, but we want an agreement of peace. We want an agreement of peace saying you will not invade any more countries. Hitler said, I can do that. Signed his name to the accord. Neville Chamberlain signed his name, the others. and, And the prime minister went home to the UK and and upon arriving at the airfield, you know, word had gotten out, there's peace in Europe. And he's holding up this accord saying, hey, we have peace for our time. We have it right here. Hitler will not invade. We have peace for our generation. Go home and have a quiet night's rest. He thought he had peace. He thought that there would not be another war. Uh, one year later to the month, Hitler invades Poland, and uh, a few days later, the United Kingdom declares war on Germany. So worldly peace, no matter how much good intention there is, uh, is temporary, right? You're not going to have peace from sinful man, right? Man is not going to give you uh, a guarantee of peace in an accord or otherwise. There's no peace in sinful man. But I want to show you where there is peace, and there's peace... uh, and multiple examples that I want to share with you in Philippians 4. So if you'd uh, open your Bibles to Philippians 4, we're going to talk about some examples of peace uh, that we have, among other things, uh, in this passage. So, um, Philippians 4, I'll start reading uh, chapter 1. Or, yep, verse 1, I'm sorry. Um, Philippians 4, verse 1. So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, just a little backstory on Philippians. Um, Paul loved this church. Okay, uh, this whole letter is a letter of joy and thanksgiving, really, to the church. Early in Philippians, he says, "I thank my God upon every remembrance of you." He loved this church. This church um, partnered with him in ministry. This church had leaders. Uh, they supported him. Uh, this wasn't a letter of correction to uh, to the church. It was a letter of of thanksgiving and joy. Uh, but here's a little passage, though, that there is some correction. There, there was a fight, really, between these two ladies and the church. There's conflict. And even though this is what I would call his 18 church, right? If, if he had a go-to church, it's this church. There were still issues that needed correcting. There's still sin because the church is made up of sinful people. So there's something that he had to address in this. And I do not believe it was doctrinal at all. If it was doctrinal, I believe Paul would have corrected it in Scripture. I think this conflict was more of a personal conflict. And it's important that God would give us Scripture that addresses personal conflict within a church. Right? We're sinful people. We're going to butt heads. There's going to be differences. But when the conflict becomes personal, it becomes destructive, it disrupts the mission of the church, right? It pulls us away from what God has commanded us to do. So the fact that it's in here, it's important. But God tells us um, through his word is to agree in the Lord Jesus, right? Set everything aside. If there's conflict, our starting point is Jesus, right? Jesus, okay, let's work down from there. It's not whatever your conflict is, that's not the starting point. The starting point, is our shared salvation in Christ. And from there, you work down to the issue that you have. <clears throat> but we know that God gives us peace in relationships. We see it here. God's giving us peace. It's only through Christ Jesus can we get this peace that's going to last. We can turn to Him, and that peace will, will last in our lives. Now, there's a difference, too, in, in conflict in the church. There's always going to be disagreement, right? We all have our own opinions, Okay? Uh, and I could think of a few examples. Um, there's probably at least two, if not three, good-hearted, well-meaning Cubs fans in this room, <laughs> okay? Now, as a Cardinals fan, am I going to go to them and tell them, yeah, they're playing good, but wait till the playoffs, and then they're going to try? <laughs> you know, that's a disagreement, right? We can, we can talk about that, and we can have fun, uh, but that's not going to be destructive. To the church but the conflict in the church is when it becomes personal it becomes bitter and i'm about tearing you down instead of building you up right we're all called to build each other up and when we have that conflict when we let it go personal and destructive it separates us from the mission of god so paul is telling the church to fix it to stop it it's being destructive disruptive to the church and we need to do something about that Uh, We're also called in scriptures, and in the Lord's prayer even, uh, to live our lives as if we're living in heaven, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We don't wait till heaven until we surrender all of our wants and desires for agreement in the Lord. We can do that now, right? It's a self-sacrifice. It's dying to self sometimes in those personal conflicts of saying, you know what, I'm letting it go. You know, I'm agreeing in the Lord. He's my focus, And whatever disagreement you have, dissolve it. Let it go away. And then uh, we also see in verse 3 that he calls the church, he calls leadership to work towards unity. Right? In verse 3, he he asked his true partner, and there's some questions on who that is, um, but he asked the church, essentially the leaders, being leaders in the church, to help these women who've contended for the gospel at my side. To help them. So he's called out. He's eternally called out these two ladies. God's word is eternal. He's eternally called them out for a fight. Uh, but really it's to their glory, to his glory, because this scripture can help prevent a lot of church from having troubles within, within their, their fellowship. But he calls the leaders to work towards unity. And we see that uh, unity requires Grace. Right, The same grace God shows us, the same grace we receive daily, hourly, by the minute that Jesus gives us, we're called to give to one another. See, grace is unconditional. So I know there's been times in my heart, you know, conflict maybe with my spouse, where there's sin in my heart, and I justify that sin by saying, well, if she only did this, it wouldn't get me to sin in my heart, right? I wouldn't have this anger in my heart if she just did this. That's not unconditional grace, right? That's conditional grace. I I will show her grace if she just does what I want. God doesn't call us to unconditional grace. He doesn't show us conditional grace. It's unconditional grace. And we should show the same uh, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our family members, to our community. It's grace that saves Uh, We show the same grace. And then grace is only grace if if it's undeserved. Right? Otherwise, it's not grace. So the grace that we receive from Christ is undeserved. I haven't earned this grace. It's not because I'm such a good person. It's not because I've done so well in, in whatever I've been doing. Grace is grace because it's undeserved. So even in those cases where you've had a legitimate beef... We can still show grace in knowing that, again, Christ shows us grace. That's our motivation. That's why Paul tells us, agree in the Lord. Where's our grace come from? It's not of my own doing, it's from Jesus. It's from Jesus. So God gives us peace in relationships. Uh, he also tells us in Matthew 18 remember the story of Peter asking how many times he should forgive his brother who sins against him. Peter thinking he's generous, seven times? Should I forgive him seven times if he sinned against me? And Jesus says, no, I tell you seven times, 70 times, right? Essentially, Jesus says, you forgive them endlessly, right? You forgive them every time. You show them grace. And I'm thankful because Jesus shows me the same grace. Jesus forgives me in the same way. I have sinned the same sin over and over and over. And on the 50th time, Jesus doesn't stop showing me grace or forgiving me. He gives me the same grace and forgiveness. So we're called to do the same uh, for each other. So we can give grace in a church. We can give grace in a marriage. We can give grace in a family. And that grace glorifies God. Uh, because it's the same grace he gives us we'll pick up again in uh, verse 4 rejoice in the lord always i say it again rejoice let your graciousness be known to everyone the lord is near don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with with thanksgiving let your request be known to god and the peace of god which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So joy is a product of heart focus on God, not on circumstances. Uh, it's joy that won't fade. You know, Paul is in prison writing this letter. He's been in prison five to six years, maybe cumulatively. He's been shipwrecked wrecked three times. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. And he's telling us about Joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, where does that joy come from? It can only come from Christ. That joy is joy that is eternal, that's everlasting. That joy never fades, right? Joy from the world fades away. There's, you know, there's things I've bought I thought going to give me great joy. And honestly, we've pretty much sold or given away everything we own. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't have much joy anymore in those things, all right? Joy from the Lord is eternal and it lasts forever and it never fades. And in those moments that are dark and troubling, I have joy, okay? And people see that joy. You know, how many times, and there's, I'm sure, many examples in this room uh, where you've just been in a trial and people see that, you know, people that aren't believers and they don't know where your joy comes from. And that's an opportunity, an opportunity to share where your joy comes from. It comes from the Lord. And, and that's hope. That's the hope people need. That's what the world wants and desires, and we're here to show them, is that that hope and joy, it never fades when it's placed in Jesus. And that's what Paul has. And Paul tells us, don't be anxious, don't, don't worry, because when you do that, you're self-focused, right? When you are anxious and worry about things, it's self-focused. He calls us to be God-focused. All right. God is the sovereign God of all the universe. Okay. Don't dwell on what we feel could happen or shouldn't have happened. Dwell on Him, the one who's in control. Go to Him. See, I've lived through a great deal of tragedies. I've been kidnapped. I've had parents killed in car crashes, siblings killed. I've uh, lost a child. I've had a lot of tragedies in my life. Uh, most of those never happened. Most of those were just in my mind thinking, what could have happened? You know. Have you ever had a kid that's just been sick and not getting better? Have you tried to call someone who's been traveling and they're not answering their phone? You start to get anxious. You start to worry. And you start to live through all these tragedies. And most of the time, they've never happened. So you put yourself through this. And you doubt God. And you question all these things. And in the end, It's okay. So you've just suffered these tragedies over and over and over again, and they've never happened in reality. Trust in the Lord. Don't let these uh, anxious or worrisome thoughts steal your heart focus away from God. It steals it away from God. See, most of those things that were imaginary, they are lies from the devil. And he knows if he gets our hearts focused on these things, it pulls us from God. And that's that's his desire is for us to doubt the sovereign God, to doubt that he loves us and that he cares for us. And John 8 44 says there's no truth in him in Satan. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, your worry and anxious thought is Satan's goal to distract you from worship of God. Worry means to be torn apart. Um, that's very true. I've been in those moments. I've been torn apart in worry. And it tears us apart. And it takes our our eyes off Jesus. But also we know, um, even if you don't worry, even if you aren't anxious, there are bad things that happen. There are bad things that happen in life. Um, And Paul knows this, right? Paul is having bad things happen to him as he wrote this. And he's not being flippant about it. But he tells you, even then, don't be anxious or worry. Um, there's uncertainty in Paul's life when he's writing this. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he's in prison, but he has surrendered to the sovereign God. He's surrendered to God, and he says, not my life, but your life, right? He's died to self. That's what we all do when we're believers in Christ. We die to ourselves. So even if we go through these trials and hardships, even if that's what God brings to our lives... He's still our God, right? We still worship Him. He's still sovereign over all of this. And Paul surrendered. So in those moments of real life hardships, surrender it to God. He is sovereign. He's in control. And then we know in Romans 8 that God works all things together for good for those that love Him. He will work good through all things. I don't know what that good's going to look like. Sometimes maybe we won't know what that good looks like. Maybe we need... God to reveal that to us in heaven of the good He's done in those things. But He's doing good because His Word tells us He's doing good. So in those hardships, we don't turn our hearts to worry or anxious thought. We turn our hearts to worship because He's doing good in all of it and be thankful for it. I know in my life, those trials, those hardships, those times I just cry out to God. He's doing the most work in my heart. Right? When things are good, when I'm feeling great, I have everything I want or think I need. Is my heart and mind on God? Not for me. Generally, I'm I'm prideful, I'm selfish. I think I've earned it all, right? My heart turns to God in hardship. My heart turns to God when I don't know where to go. When um, when there's pain and suffering, my heart turns to God, and in that alone, He's doing good work. He's working all things together for good that, for those that love Him. So I encourage you in the same way in those moments. Don't let Satan steal your worship of God. Turn to Him and trust that He's the sovereign, almighty God. And in that, we know God gives us peace in our hearts and our minds. He gives us peace in our hearts and in our minds. And it's not just any peace. right? It's peace that surpasses every thought. It's Christ. He is our peace. God gives us Jesus. And then He tells us, that He will guard the things, He'll guard our hearts and minds. So He guards the things that produce worry and anxious thought. So when we go to Him in prayer petition, He guards our, our heart and minds, and those are the things responsible for your anxious and worried thoughts. So we have peace in that. We know that we can trust the One who we put our faith in to save our souls. We can trust the same One in every aspect of our lives. God also tells us, or Paul tells us uh, in the word um, to battle this through prayer and petition, right? Go to God in prayer and petition. Prayer. Uh, it's an attitude of worship, of devotion, of making your request known to God. And petition is just that heartfelt sharing of problems, right? We can talk with God. He knows our hearts. We can share with him what's going on. And he hears us. See, we're privileged. There's there's seven plus billion people in the world, okay. Maybe two billion Christians, and then five billion people that don't know Jesus as their Savior. Of those five billion people, you got over a billion Hindus, you know, almost two billion Muslims. Uh, you got all sorts of other faiths, okay. They pray, right? Hindus have a million plus gods. They pray to them. Muslims, they pray, you know, five times a day. Um, but they're, they're not praying to the God of the universe. See, when we pray because we're children of God, we're co-heirs with Christ, God hears our prayers. And we're privileged in that. And that's why I think Paul tells us to pray with thanksgiving. See, as children of God, we can go to a father who cares us who loves us who knows us and we can go to him and on father's day we can go to him and say daddy this is what my heart is feeling this is what's going on in my life and he cares for us and he loves us and so often i know when i pray when we pray we're not praying with thanksgiving right we're praying with like an urgency god you need to do this now Look at the time. It's just going by. I need this done. You know. And I've been through stuff. I've been through unemployment for a year, right out of college. I've had some heartfelt prayers to God. <laughs> and it was all about urgency. And God, why? Why, God? There was no thanksgiving in my heart. There was no thanksgiving that even though I wasn't working out of college, I still had a place to live. I still had food and clothes and friendships and a family. It was, why, God, can not I have a job? Now that in and of itself, yeah, pray for a job. But thanksgiving in the heart, where is it? Be thankful when we pray. God cares for us. He takes care of us. He provides for us. He's given us so many good things. Trust Him that He's sovereign. Be thankful that we can go to the God of the universe and He hears us. Worship God in that way. God's glorified when we go to Him in prayer. With thanksgiving, a thankful heart. Uh, Let's jump uh, back into the word on verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So, he tells us what to do. So don't worry, don't be anxious, do this. Uh, and it's really, you know, I pulled out Second Corinthians 10.5 where it says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. right? Every thought, uh, those thoughts is really generated from your heart. It's what is in your heart and mind comes out in your mouth and in, in relationships with people. Um, so do these things. Uh, and it dwells on these characteristics of God. They please God when we do them. And then uh, if you missed on verse 9, it says, Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So not, not only just hear what I'm writing you, and so often in, in, in our walk with the Lord, we hear, we read the Word, we, we go to church, we hear the Word, and then we, we just don't follow through with the do, Right? Paul's saying, do these things, what you've learned, what you've received from me. Do them. In James one twenty two, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So, application is an important lesson in our walk with the Lord, in our study of His word. Application. See, I studying this, I thought of a story. I thought of just my childhood, growing up, Sunday afternoon, you know, Sunday service, you sit. And when I grew up, most of my childhood, we got to go to Grandma's house after church to eat lunch. And maybe some of you today are going to Grandma's house. And that is one of the best memories of my childhood, is every Sunday going to Grandma's house for lunch. And I don't know how Grandma did it. She would sit in the same pew with us, but we would get up, go to her house, and it was done, and it was perfect, and it was smelling good. Right. And every Sunday it was a feast. And I can remember walking in and just smelling the house, you know, fresh rolls or a roast or whatever it is. And it just it gave me joy going to grandma's house and and having a meal with her. And we'd go and eat and we'd enjoy it and everything would smell good. And then, you know, later that afternoon we'd go home. And the thing is, is once we got home I couldn't smell I couldn't smell the food anymore. I couldn't smell what her house smelled like anymore. She's been gone uh, 10 years now. And I, I remember it, but I, I don't know that smell anymore. I just can't sit here and smell it. It's faded away. It's gone away from me. And I think similar to how we are in our walk with the Lord. We'll come and we'll hear a message. Or we'll spend some um, time you know, in fellowship and just be encouraged in our walk with the Lord. And then we go home Sunday afternoon and that time spent in the Lord, if we don't renew it daily, right, it starts to fade. And by the end of the week, our souls are thirsty and hungry if we're not in the Word, if we're not in prayer, if we're not seeking Him daily or even hourly. Our souls thirst. And it wears. And your life won't be transformed or changed if you only come and do that once a week for an hour or two. right? Paul calls us, To do what we've learned, that's renewing ourselves daily, hourly in the Lord, and using this for God to change our lives. So, just like being in grandma's house, you know, when you come to church, this isn't all there is, there's more, right? We'll have a a Bible study. You know, there may be fellowship Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Be involved in that. Small groups, be involved in that. Read your word, read God's word daily, be in prayer daily regularly more than daily and we're going to see our lives reflect in application what paul's told us to do do these things which you have learned so i encourage you to to do that to put those into practice to seek him see the more you seek him you're not going to be unsatisfied you're not going to seek him more and be like you know it's just not what i'm looking for it's not going to happen you seek him those that draw near to god he will draw near to draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Right? Is it your prayer, God, may, may I know you more and more today? May you be my greatest desire? I encourage you, if that's not your prayer, pray that. That God would be your greatest desire. More than the things you do, the hobbies you have, the work you need to complete, God would be your greatest desire. And that you would daily draw near to Him and experience Him drawing near to you. Let's jump down again to uh, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content whether well fed or hungry whether in abundance or in need i'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me so we see paul showing us that this church has has cared for him and again and again they've given him gifts paul says the church has blessed me in these gifts but i've been content in all things i've been poor i'm content right you give me gifts i'm content i'm not any better My my joy isn't anymore because of these gifts. You've met my needs. I'm content. I'm thankful. And contentment, um, uh, you know, I think of contentment as, um, you know, second place maybe, (laughs) right? First place is what I want, but I got second place. I'm content. That's okay. Really, contentment is the satisfaction. Paul's not saying I'll take second place. Paul is saying I'm fully satisfied in what God has given me. I have joy in what God has given me. In my circumstances, I'm content in heart. I'm at peace. I have all I need. Are we content today, right now? Or are you satisfied with all God has given you? Is there joy? Paul's told us to be content. He shows us it's learned, okay? He didn't just become content. He learned it. He knows the secret of being content. Right? I can give you one guess what the secret is. Jesus. Jesus is the secret. God gives us peace with contentment of circumstances. See, in Christ, that's where our joy is. In Christ. Right? If all I have is Jesus, do I need anything more? Right? Are we living for this life? Is that our goal? Or is Christ our goal? Is Christ our prize? Right? If you have Jesus, that's all you need. You can be satisfied. You can have joy in all that you have because you have Christ. Paul was content. He knew the secret. He had it. It was the prize of Christ in his life. And that is part of maturity. So again, Paul learned this. He's mature in his faith. He grew in his faith and God showed him. God changed his heart to reveal to him the contentment he has in Jesus. The, the joy and satisfaction he has in Jesus. See, contentment really goes back to the anxious and worried thought too, right? If you're anxious and worried, are you content? You're not content. There's no peace when you have anxious or worried thought. Uh, I saw this the other day out on Twitter. Um, I thought it was good. It said, to be anxious means that you do, you do not trust God that he will get it right. So your anxious thought, you're not trusting God that he's going to get it right. to be jealous or bitter means you think God got it wrong. So in those moments where uh, you've been anxious and it's just not the outcome you wanted. it's not what you thought should have happened right And then if there's the root of bitterness or jealousy, you're thinking God got it wrong. and of course we know God didn't get it right. contentment Is having joy and knowing God has it right. I'm content. God is sovereign. He has it right. And then my heart's going to be changed to know and recognize God's got it right. I trust in Him. In verse 15, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God is praised and worshiped through gifts. The church is giving to Paul. Uh, Paul didn't write them a letter saying, hey, I, I need some, some money, I need some whatever. The, the church gave it out of love for Paul, out of worship to God, the church gave. And their account is gained. So when you give, your account is gained only in God's economy. right? I don't know how it's gained. It's his economy. I trust his economy. And that your account is gained. And you'll see that. And when you give, it's producing fruit of your faith. right? Being a joyful giver takes the work of the Spirit in your heart. right? People are amazed that aren't believers in Jesus that you would give a tenth or you would give special offerings to this or that. People just don't get it. It's a gift to God. And it's evidence of your faith when you give joyfully. And we know that when you give, you have the peace of God. Right? God gives you peace when he gives. He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So you will not be poorer for having given. Right? God will never be in debt to you. Right? You cannot outgive God. And God gives you that peace in knowing he's going to supply all your needs. He's going to supply all your needs. Now in all these things, we see that God gives us peace in relationships. We see God gives us peace in our hearts and minds. We see the God of peace in our contentment of circumstances. We see the peace of God when you give. But all these things only happen through Jesus Christ. All these examples are only through Jesus. The greatest peace you'll ever receive is that peace of reconciliation that Christ gives us through the cross. If I could turn your attention to one more verse, uh, Colossians. Just turn a couple pages. Colossians, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse nineteen through twenty-two. Uh, verse nineteen. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. The best peace you'll ever have, the only peace you'll ever have, is through Jesus Christ. If you never experienced the peace of Christ, if you've never given your life to Him as your Savior, You don't know peace. And I encourage you today to turn to Jesus, the peace, the reconciler of our faith to God. Turn to Jesus for that peace. If you've had the peace of Christ, if you know Christ, but there's been times of worry and anxious thought in your heart, I again encourage you to turn that faith back to Jesus. Jesus is our peace. It's his blood on the cross. Everything hinges on him. So Jesus is our peace, gives us peace in all these things. Be thankful. Praise God today because you have the peace of the cross. You have that reconciliation through his blood on the cross. Uh, Worship him uh, and then go in peace uh, as we uh, go about our day. Thank you.